go to the word. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 9. One more, 4, 7. God is the God of grace. 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 First Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, He is the God of all grace. And that's because every good and perfect gift comes from Him. James 1, 17. And He gives grace to whom He gives grace. Exodus 33:19 says, He shows mercy to whom He shows mercy. So in the same concept, um, since in the Bible, the word grace is expressed as mercy or goodness. So there are, uh, you know, these words are interchangeably used throughout the Bible. So where the Lord says, I will show my mercy to whom I show my mercy, meaning it's unilateral. It's God driven, God decided, it's God given. So in that same note, understanding that God is the God of grace, he gives grace to whom he gives grace. He's gracious to whom he is gracious. In other words, And in Romans 4, 16 says, this grace comes by faith so that it may be by grace. So for it to be known as grace, it comes by faith. So that's what makes God the God of grace. So faith that believes in the God of grace is to know that one has received, because he's the giver of gift, the greatest gift. And that is the gift of Christ. How many of you believe that you receive the greatest gift? Or you're going like, I'm still waiting for mine tonight or tomorrow morning. Yes. For some reason, I'm so excited. It's like, I don't know why people are so excited. Yeah, it is exciting to give and to receive. Yes. So um, it is exciting time of the year. Um, and that's why we share this word. It is about gift. Um, the tradition of giving each other gift, human to human, um, before that, uh, beyond that is always knowing the reason for the season. And that is about knowing the greatest gift that we have received. And that is the gift of Christ. As we just read in Ephesians 4, 7, to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So God gives grace according to how much one knows his grace, how much one appreciates it, how much one um, knows uh, how precious, how great, how deep, how wide, how high the gift of God is. Therefore, faith life is to consider the gift of God given freely as one's own debt. Because I didn't pay for it. He gave to me. And therefore, I owe him. I owe him. So it is to become a debtor to his grace. It is to become, I'll explain a little later, but a slave to a lender, which Proverbs says. So it is willingly becoming a debtor to his grace, always rejoicing, giving thanks, and boasting him, the giver of the greatest gift. How many of you believe that God is the giver of the greatest gift? And that is not material, physical, but more important, more valuable than any gift. And that is the gift of Christ. Maybe you don't feel as much right now, but hopefully by the end of the sermon... You would, because there still is a day that is coming for those who believe in the God of grace. Uh, as 1 Peter 1.13 expresses it, we are looking forward to the grace to be brought when he is, the Lord is, when Christ is revealed a second time. So we not only believe that God sent us, gave us mankind the greatest gift, that is the gift of Christ, But that after he gave us through his death, he resurrected and ascended to heaven. And according to his promise, he is coming back. 
And the Bible describes that as he appearing a second time. How many believe that he is going to appear a second time? And that appearance of second time will be the grace that those who believe him and follow him and keeping the faith to the end will see. So I look forward to the grace. I look forward to the grace to, to, be, uh, to be brought to his presence before him to finally see him face to face. Amen. Because of that, I give thanks, I rejoice, and I boast the one that I owe, to whom I owe my life. So the season is giving, and therefore people are just going crazy, buying gifts and, and gifts for themselves and you know, it's like one for them and 10 for me. Ooh, it's on sale. So 10 more for me. Yeah, I know. That laugh is like meaningful laugh right there. It's like, <laughs> I'm guilty. Yeah, okay. Yeah, just be honest, right? So it's like, I don't know who's going to give to me, but I can give to myself, right? It's on sale. So I'm going to give to myself. The wonderful thing about gift is that uh, it makes both the giver and a receiver happy. I heard like on the news, you know, it's like psychologists have done studies how the happiness, you know, of a person goes up when they give. And I'm just like, sorry, the ex-sociologist here. It's like, hello, that's no news. That's been around for a very long time. We, we talk about that. And uh, even anthropologists of older times have studied and sort of like the primitive, you know, tribal societies. The gift is such an important social act to um, give and then reciprocate. Like you give and the other person feels owed, owing, right? So that they feel pressure to also give. But when there is the exchange of gifts, there's a treaty, like a relationship. So it's a social uh, transaction. And that's been around for ancient, from ancient times. Humans are smart. They figure that nobody does not like gift. But um, who gives what is uh, very important, right? Um, so among gifts, who waits for the best gifts? Um, certainly, um, you know, different relationship, family and, and social, workplace, friendship, um, you know, there is exchange of gifts. Um, but uh, in political setting and national setting, especially in this country, uh, I think like last week there was an announcement, there's a presidential uh, pardons, also known as clemency, where the executive branch has the right, as in the president of the United States, uh, has a constitutional right to... Um, grant uh, pardons. So this is called presidential pardons where um, people are in prison or they're waiting even execution. They're on death row. Uh, but considering blah, 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 the president has the right. And that's the power of the executive branch. Like you, you don't need the Congress. You don't need the, uh, the judiciary you know, uh, branch, but he can just do it unilaterally, sign a bill and then just say, you're off the hook. You're free to go. So uh, I think there were like some hundreds on that list. Um, uh, but a certain president over the years gave like thousands of um, pardons where uh, some um, have only given handful. Um, I think so far Biden gave like 11 or something. So he needs, he needs to work on it, I guess. So all of a sudden he wants to give about 100. Uh, so low-level, um, you know, convicted of low-level crime, uh, he's pardoning. So maybe those people who are convicted of just a few years uh, locked up, Maybe they do appreciate, but not as much as somebody who would be freed if they were on death row, you know, not knowing when death is coming. And they say that people who are on death row who are uh, sentenced for, uh, to execution, they don't know exactly when that's going to happen. It's just going to be one day and a knock on their cell and let's go. And they are only given certain time knowing that um, it's their time um, to now be executed. So for someone like that to be given pardon they would truly appreciate. And walking out of that prison cell as a free man, they would be amazed 
about this gift that they receive undeservingly. So they would say, I'm amazed and I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the rest of their lives. Um, also, there are people who, actually many people who are on uh, transplant um, list, right? So they're looking for donors, for whether it's kidney, a liver, or even heart. Um, they are on that list and waiting for basically someone else to die for the organ to be available, right? Be made available. I mean, kidney, you can still live with one. Um, but heart, the person has to die, right? And then they have, they, the death has to occur uh, within a time frame that the donor, uh, the, the patient shows up so that when the donor's heart is ready, that they can make that surgery very quickly um, uh, so they can survive. So imagine somebody who um, is on that list and then gets a call and says, you need to get to the hospital ASAP. You know, because that fresh heart is being flown in. And they, they do. For, I mean, I've read, like, this process, like, how transplant in some scenario where they put it in a Ziploc bag, literally a Ziploc bag with a cold packs and, and a cooler bag, hopping on the airplane, um, you know, and then flying over to wherever the patient is. And patient is getting prepped simultaneously. And it's just all hands on deck, panicking, you know, and then there's a clock running. And they have to do it very, very quickly. Uh, it's a very intense um, process. But at the end of it, if the patient receives and it is, um, uh, and the body receives it and there's no bad um, you know, rejection from the body and they survive for the rest of their lives. They would say things like, you know, even though I'm 60, 70 years old, my heart is 20 years old. You know, there are a lot of people who say that. So I'm very grateful for this young man or young woman um, for their heart. So they're amazed when they receive it and they're amazed a year later receiving. But for the rest of the, their lives, they will say, I'm still amazed. So if humans can appreciate such life, um, gifts that matters life and death, freedom or imprisonment or death, how much more for believers, the believers of God, the God of grace, to be grateful, not just today, not just a year, but forever. So the Bible is written of the gift of God. And as we talked about last week in Hebrews 11, it outlines um, what we call the genealogy of faith. Um, So these are the men of faith who considered God's dispensation Dispensation is a big word, but if you took logo, simply, what is it? It's a timetable, schedule, right? Schedule of God that um, allows the plan of God to be worked out, right? So God sets his plan, his purpose, and then for him to achieve his purpose, he set our timetable. Just like anybody with a project, right? You have something in mind, and you set a timetable, and a lot of times people do backwards. You know, this is my deadline. This is how much time I have. By this time, I need to have this by this time. So whatever, forward, backwards, and you have a schedule set. So these men who have been revealed, who were revealed God's dispensation, um, and that's called the dispensation of his grace, um, and receiving providence, and that is the will of God coming to them, their life, to carry it out. And it's burdensome, it's risky, but they take it as grace and they carry it out. So they understand all that as the grace of God. Uh, the, the man that we think of first would be Noah, right? Noah, um, when everything was fine and everyone was going about their lives and their days, he was warned of a great deluge, great flood that's going to destroy, destroy the entire earth. Everything that breathes through his nostrils will be killed. So in Genesis 6, 8, he considered the warning as the favor of God. So another way of expressing grace is favor, so Noah, being warned of things unseen, he considered as grace and he carried out the providence, which was obeying his command to build an ark to save him and his family. Abram, when he was called Abram, he was called by God. And God gave him this 
heavy-duty providence, one, to leave his home country. Certainly there's two coming later, right? But because God said, I will be your God, and your descendants will be my descendant, my people, and that I will give you land that you're going to go to. So even, if, even though he did not know where he was going, he left what he knew and went to what he did not know. But could he consider God speaking to him, calling him um, as grace? Uh, and then later on in Genesis 18, we see God appearing with angels to Abraham and saying, let me go to your home. I mean, Abraham actually, I said, please do not pass by and, and come to my home. And then uh, he actually uh, went. So the Lord appearing before Abraham, he considered as grace once again. And inviting him to his home and serving him there, he considered that as grace. So it is also uh, expresses favor. You have shown me favor, the Lord's favor on me. And therefore, God bless Abraham. Uh, and he was able to even carry out the providence of killing his uh, only son. Uh, but instead of having him dead, many, many offspring came from him. Even his nephew. Anyone know his nephew's name? So Lot, he was warned of the destruction of Sodom that was coming the next, basically next morning. Um, and uh, Lot considered that as grace or Lot uh, a favor. So he said, Genesis nineteen nineteen, your servant has fa- found favor in your eyes. You have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. Later on, Jacob coming uh, from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, um, he had to leave his home because he cheated his brother of the birthright. He was on the run for 20 years living in a, and working in his uncle's home. And when he returned home, he was wealthy very wealthy, um, even though he lived his very lonely, uh, difficult life, coming back, God blessed him and multiplied his family and multiplied his wealth, and, and he considered that as God's grace. And his name changes Israel, and from him come a people called Israel. By the time God calls them to be his people, um, they were slaves in Egypt, um, serving the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. They had been there for about 430 years, and by sending Moses, God brought them out of their slavery and accomplished what's called the Exodus. And that was after the 10 plagues. And then they were let out. So that was a reason for them to be grateful for because that was God's favor on their people. But not only did it, uh, was it that, but even after that, God led them into the desert where they wandered for how many years in the desert? 40 years. And you're thinking, wow, this is going really fast. Yes, it is going fast. There's a purpose for that too. Anyway, so it's, they, they were out there wandering, but the Lord led them and fed them and healed them and protected them. As long as they kept the law, um, they saw the favor of God. So Jeremiah 31 uh, verse 2 says, the people who survived the sword will find favor in the wilderness and will come to give rest to Israel, the Lord says. So even in that harsh environment where there's no water, there's no food, no survival, God fed them by giving them bread every day and, you know, and water every day and even meat at times. Uh, he showed them favor. So the, the people of Israel understood that they were the people of God who were shown the f- favor of God. The name would be Jehovah, right? So God in the name of Jehovah. And that Jehovah, the Lord God, gave them the law, uh, also name, uh, called commandments. How many commandments um, are there anyway? And don't say 10 because you know better. 613. Tell your neighbor. 613. Yeah, 613. Not few. Many, many, many. And um, they were considered, um, or they're called as decrees and laws. Or some other places as statues and, and commandments. Different translations as different things. But the comment, um, uh, the point is that they're made up of decrees and laws. Um, and 
while God promised to show his grace for a thousand generations, if they kept the commandments, as Deuteronomy 5.10 says, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, I will show you love. I will show you my grace for how many generations? Thousand. So how many years is that? More than a thousand years. Yes? Yeah, yeah. Because if you think about a generation... Maybe back then a generation was, I don't know, 50, 60, or 100 times 1,000. So that's a very, very long time. But what's the condition? If you keep his commandments. Yeah, so you have to keep commandments, and then God says, I will show my mercy, my grace, my love to 1,000 generations to your people. But keeping one. How many again? How many points? How many uh, decree? 613. So, and it's not for 600 years. You take 613. Every day you have to keep 613. Difficult? Yeah. And then breaking one, James uh, reminds, James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking? Breaking all. So even if you kept 612 and you went whoops on the last one, it's equal to breaking all. Oh, my Lord. So very difficult, right? So it's impossible to keep the law. And therefore, God being the God of grace, commanded them to build the sanctuary um, the tabernacle in the desert, and then later the temple of Jerusalem, the stationary uh, permanent form, structure, it was to remind them that God is gracious God. And that well knowing that they will break the commandments, that they will be guilty, God made a way for them to receive God's grace. Now, what was the first object that was made for the sanctuary? Huh? What? Ark, there you go. You don't even miss a beat. Ark, right away. Ark, yes, ark, very good, yeah. So, you know, very, very odd. If you think about um, construction order, mostly it's about the foundation. They work on the ground and they work at the pillars, you know, the beams, and then other, other things. But, and if you think about the ark, it sounds like it's a furnishing, a piece of furniture. But actually the sanctuary, that was the cornerstone. That was the foundation. That was the first object made. Interestingly, it's called the ark, right? The ark of the covenant, ark of the testimony. But because it was, uh, um, it, it's like a box, open box. Uh, with um, poles, uh, uh, loops um, to put poles in to carry. Uh, it was open, but it was a, there was a separate um, panel of wood to cover it. So that covering was called the atonement cover. What is it? And why is it called the atonement cover? Because the atonement, right, would be completed when it would reach the ark. When, when it, as in the atonement, um, the, the offering, um, the whole sacrifice by the high priest... Bring, carrying the blood of the animal. So um, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So when someone breaks um, the commandment, in Leviticus chapter 4 says, Say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, including the priest, even if the priest commits you know, and he's guilty, he also needs to be forgiven. So anyone who commits uh, unintentionally um, or violating one of the commandments of the Lord, was to bring a sin offering. So sin offering is a sacrifice that would die in place of the sinner himself. So they will bring the sacrifice, an animal, a live animal, and the priest will hear their confession and lay uh, his hand on the animal, and the animal will carry that sin that is the price of sin. What is the price of sin? Death. Death. 
And in the Old Testament, it's physical death. So it's either the human who dies, like the sinner who dies, or if he wants to live, quickly he brings an animal in place of him. So the animal will be slaughtered before the altar, and its blood will be sprinkled at the altar. And the other part of that blood, a portion of the blood, will be carried into the tabernacle, the sanctuary. First room is called the holy place, and the second is the most holy place, separated by a curtain. And in the most holy place, there was this ark, and there was the covering. And the high priest will carry the blood, sprinkle in the holy place with all these objects there, and then passing through the curtain into the most holy place he will go. And then he will finally sprinkle on the cover, which is called again what? The atonement cover. And it is from there God promised, I will forgive. I will, I will redeem. I will accept your atonements. I will atone your sins, and you will be forgiven Therefore, that atonement cover is also called the mercy seat in different translations. So you heard three things. The ark, what is it described as or expressed as? The atonement cover or the mercy seat. So it shows, it tells you what it is. So even though you can't see God, God is not sitting in it. God is too great to be housed anywhere. But he promised where his name is, that's where he will show his mercy, his grace to the people of Israel, not any other peoples on earth. So knowing that they will violate the commandment because they are too weak to uh, keep the commandments, all the commandments, God had in place this mechanism to show his favor on, these cho- on the chosen people. However, the people became uh, corrupted, uh, especially as they settled in Canaan. They worshipped Gentile gods. They had forgotten the grace, the favor of their maker. Isaiah 27, 10 to 11, describing how the result of their sin brought the destruction of the temple and their people became scattered. So, you know, the, um, today they're known as the Jewish people, but back then they were not called Jews, like people of Israel or the Hebrews. Um, they are the, one of the earliest diaspora in the, hist- you know, in the history of the world. Diaspora meaning people who are scattered all over because that's through uh, this persecution or this attack by enemies coming to conquer their land and then they will flee um, and they will be taken as captives too. So they live different parts of the world. Um, and describing this so desolate Israel, um, uh, God spoke through Israel, to, uh, Isaiah, the prophet, 27, 10 to 11. The fortified city stands desolate, an abandoned settlement, forsaken like the wilderness, tore there the calves graze, there they lie down. They strip its branches bare when its twigs are dry. They are broken off and women come and make fires with them. Sounds really neg- dark, right? Very, very hopeless. For this is a people without understanding. So their maker has no compassion on them and their creator shows them no favor. Because you disobeyed him, and not only that in Jonah 2 a says they worship worthless idols. God forgot, God decided, because they forgot their maker, their maker decided to not show them compassion. Their ca- their creator no longer show them favor. This was to remind them, I showed you my favor to you and your ancestors, and this is how you treat me, and therefore you are destroyed. That's where you're punished. Yet, yet, there was hopeful prophecy in the same book. Let's look at two passages, Isaiah. Isaiah 30, 18. Yet the Lord longs to be, altogether, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Does that give you hope? Where it says, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And it says, yet, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. In spite of the fact that you mistreat him, you worship worthless idols, you are walking away from him, yet, 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 
He is gracious to you. He's longing to be gracious to you. So what does that mean? He showed in the past uh, his favor to his ancestors. But because of their sin and their disobedience, they're now under curse. But now we're speaking future, right? This is prophecy about what will happen, what the Lord will do in the future. He's longing to show you his grace, to be gracious to you. So long for him. And if you do long for him, long for that prophecy to be true, come true, blessed are you. And let's go to 61, 1 to 2, more specifically about this prophecy. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort all who mourn. The time will come when he will show his grace, grace to all men, not just to Israel. And for that day, he is waiting like a thousand years, like a day, a day, like a thousand years. Have we heard that? Yeah, we heard that. That sounds familiar, right? To the Lord, a thousand years, like a day, a day is like a thousand years to show his true grace he's been longing longing for that moment when the true grace they knew grace but this grace that is coming will be the perfect grace therefore it will be grace above grace it will be grace upon grace and that's that will mark the time of his favor the year of the lord's favor the time of his grace and that time came when the lord yeshua came to the world hallelujah when the world was singing, holy night, silent light, quiet night, and they were all busy with their lives. Nothing was happening. Nothing unusual was ha- happening except for some magi, some wise men, and the shepherds seeing stars moving. Only they had a glimpse of what was happening. The rest had no clue. It was just like another day, another night. But a baby was born, and, and humbly he came. And he couldn't even... He could not even uh, been born in a regular setting or a warm home, but he was out of the home and he was in like an animal barn and laid in the manger. Very humbly he came. But this was exactly according to the plan of the Father, the God of grace, to show his grace upon not just the people of Israel, but the people of all the world, all nations. The baby growing up to be a man and one day standing before the temple in the name of Yeshua, he came and in that name, he was standing before the temple saying, destroy this temple and I will raise it again. In how many days? And the people who heard that were the Jewish leaders, the teachers and the priests. They did not like it at all because without the temple, they would have absolutely no promise or no guarantee for God's promise for his favor. That they were right now under curse and lost their sovereignty and did not even have um, their uh, own freedom as a, as a nation. They were longing for the Messiah to come to restore their kingdom. Uh, and without the temple, there will be no guarantee. It was the only reminder and guarantee for them for that future. So when Yeshua said destroy, they took it literally and they understood as hopeless, being hopeless and blasphemous even. But what Yeshua is saying is the temple of his body. He was going to be put to death, but in three days he'll be raised back to life. And this temple does not have the name of Jehovah for the people of Israel, but it was in the Father's name he came, and that name is Savior, which is Yeshua. Hallelujah. 
He will save his people from their sins. As the angel told um, Joseph, Mary, that they named the baby, Matthew 121. That's what Yeshua means. He who will save his people from their sins. And in that is the father's name, John 5.43. The name of Jehovah is only up to this point. That's why he's saying no more named Jehovah, which was delivered by angel only for the people of Israel. Here's the father's name now being made to all the nations, the souls of all men. A new era is coming. Right now, you are under the, the, the law, the era of the law of Moses, which is known as the law of Moses, but really law of God, decrees and laws, that you are fearing its consequence breaking and, and, and the consequence of breaking. And, and you thought by keeping the law, by deeds of the law, that you will be saved. But now a new time has come that by grace, by faith, you will be justified. Hallelujah. And that is referring to the grace upon grace. Amen. Let's go to John 1. And we will look at 14 all the way to 17, 18. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. So the God who is the God of grace from eternity decided to show grace to not just a small group of people on earth physically, but that spiritually for he is spirit eternally, he will show his grace to all men. That was decided in the beginning. And the one who will carry that out into action, fulfill that, is who? The word. It doesn't say Yeshua, guys. Look look at the text. Who? The word. And that's called? Whole logos. Logos, the word, is a self-manifestation of God. So, here is the word with God in the beginning who is going to reveal the grace God, the grace of God, the favor of God, the favor of God on all men, on all mankind when the time comes. So when the time comes, that is verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from where? The father full of grace and truth. Hallelujah. So the word became flesh is the moment the word fell on the body of Mary who was betrothed to Joseph, but did not have any relationship with him yet. So she was a virgin. So when she accepted the providence that she's going to have a child, a son of God, she was confused. I know how babies are made. I can't have a baby on my own. But the angel explained, this is God who is able to do all things. Nothing is impossible. Look at even your, uh, you know, old cousin or, you know, she is pregnant. She was right. And remembering even Sarah of old age, Sarah and Abram, they had a baby. To God, nothing is impossible. Amen, she accepted. So she understood this providence, even though it was very risky. She would risk her life to uh, bear a child alone. That she, it means death right? There's a chance of death. She considered that providence as grace. And she said, amen. And that baby started growing in her body. And finally the baby was born 2000 plus years ago from today. This is just unthinkable. The more and more, you know, who Yeshua is, it's unbelievable. He's not just a man like you and me. Yes. He did appear like you and me, like a man, as I pray, pray before, but who is he? He is the word in the beginning. He is God, the God of grace in the beginning. He is the maker, the creator of all things. Do you believe that? When he came, therefore, this is the moment he came from the father. And he's known as the one and only son or the only begotten son. He's known as the son when he comes out of God. 
Because now his part, his role is to do the will of the one who sent him. Not a biological relationship like we have with our parents, father and son or mother and daughter, whatever. It's not that. But it's the one who was sent. And he is therefore known as the son who was sent by the father. He's going to fulfill the will of the father to be known as the God of grace. And let's continue. Verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received grace upon grace or grace in place of grace already given. Usually I'm not really crazy about the latest NIV translation because it's so watered, watered down and so paraphrased. But here's actually like this explanation. Grace in place of grace already given. So what does that mean? In verse 14, it says, full of grace and truth. And then it says, grace in place of grace already given. So grace had already come to the people of the Old Testament. It was already shown to the chosen people of Israel. But now this grace is greater. It is above that grace. It is upon that grace because this grace will be not just for the people of Israel, but the souls of all men. And all the people here will say, Hallelujah. Again, in the Old Testament, the cho- to the chosen people who, to whom God gave the law, by keeping, by the deeds of the law, they were saved. They received God's grace. For how many generations? thousand generations. But now a new time has come. New era has come. And that is not by keeping the law of Moses, by knowing who grace is. Not just what grace is, but who the grace of God is. Who the gift of God is. Who is the gift of God? The greatest gift of God. Yeshua, hallelujah. It is by knowing him, knowing what the truth is, full of grace and truth. What is it? So who is the grace? Who is the truth? It is? And that's why he said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will? What did he say? All I hear is true, true, true. No, no, no. You will know the truth and the truth will. Who is the truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Yeshua is the truth. Yeshua is the grace of God. Hallelujah. That's why in that passage he's saying, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They said, we are Abraham's descendants have never been slaves to anyone. These guys had like memory lapse. Like, Hello. Even we know that you were enslaved by the Egyptians for 430. Hello. Like, but the, we've never been slaves. So how can we be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. So it's not about some social political relationship, but now we're speaking spiritually. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And he said, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Hallelujah. It is not by keeping the law as a slave to fear under the law, keeping that law out of fear. And even so, they were not successful because it is impossible for anyone to keep the law. By keeping the law, no one can become righteous. That's actually the function of the law. No one is righteous, not even one. But the people of Israel thought keeping it and keeping it out of fear because if they break even one, they'd be punished. If they were found to be breaking by two or three witnesses, they'd be put to death instantly. So they were afraid, constantly in fear, slave to the law. So slave to sin, trying to be free from that sin by keeping the law, actually becomes slave to that law. 
And here is Yeshua saying, you cannot be free by doing that. It is only by knowing the truth, the one who comes as the truth, that you will be set free and set free forever. Hallelujah. That's why he said in Matthew 10, uh, 20, 28, the son of man did not come to the world to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. What is a ransom? What is a ransom? Another word for it is redemption, atonement. It's somebody who dies in place for someone else's sin. In the Old Testament, who was a ransom for the human sinners? Animals. So when he said ransom to us Gentiles, like ransom, what is that? Someone got kidnapped, right? But in the, to, to the Jewish people, ransom, right away, they think of sin offering, animals. That died as a sacrifice in place of the sinner human. But he, Yeshua saying, the son of man, even though he is God, he referred to him as himself as the son of man, meaning his essence is God, but he came as man. That's why when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Yeshua said, bless you. That is 100% correct. Who is Yeshua? He is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is God who came as man. Check on your neighbor with their mouth, mouth open, their eyes closed. Wow. This is very sad sight. Wow. That, that don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. You're in the presence of God. Yeah. If you go on a date, you will never be. Yeah. It's like, get out of here. That's what they're going to say. Then I'm going to wait through the end of the dinner. They'll be like, I'm out of here. You're the, you're before the king of kings. I'm not the king of kings. I'm also before the king of kings. So p- sit up straight and put strength in your eyes and pay attention because the word of life is being given to us right now. Amen. So the son of man whose essence is God, but came in the flesh to be treated like an animal, to be killed like an animal, to die in place of the sinners of the world who are slaves to sin. Is that grace or what? So in spite of the fact that he performed many signs and people loved him and pop, they, they liked him and they followed him because of what he said about who he was. That he is the son of God. That he is God himself. They could not tolerate him. So they all left him and betrayed him. And shouted crucify him. But this was all according to God's schedule. That he lays down his life willingly. So that God be known as the God of grace. So that's why when he died he said it is finished. And that was according to the father's command that he received. That he lay down his life willingly. Lay down his life willingly. So laying down is the act of obeying and he obeyed willingly knowing that there is grace of the father waiting for him. So Psalm 27, 13 says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The goodness. I told you the word goodness, favor, kind, mercy, grace, same concept in the Bible. So there I will see the grace of the Lord in the land of the living. So that's in the Psalm. But we take this as a prophecy regarding Yeshua, the son of God. When he laid down his life and became nothing. To death. He died. He did not have to die. He knows no sin for he is God. But the moment that he died was that he sin, the sin of the world was laid upon his body. So that he, his body would die. Because his body is the word. The incarnate word. Incarnate spirit. That cannot die on its own. But the sin of the world will kill the body. Has the function. So when they nailed him and with sin being put on, he died. Truly. But it was a result of him laying down his life, letting it be. 
because he knew and trusted that he will see the grace of the Father when he does. Hallelujah. And the Father did raise him back to life so that he may see the favor of the Father once for all and that he will forever glorify the Father as the God of grace. Hallelujah. In that process, he judged the devil, the origin of sin at the time. Uh, when he was an angel, this devil uh, known as Lucy L. And, and then because of his pride and he rebels against God, he's known as Lucifer. Satan, he became ungrateful for all the favor God has shown him to be made beautifully and talented to worship and serve God. Instead of being grateful and humble, he became proud and ungrateful. And, and as, the, as the enemy, Psalm 27, 11 says, he actually oppressed Yeshua by using Judas Iscariot to betray him, sell him to death, and then using these men to crucify him. He oppressed him. But Yeshua, through his death, judged him once for all. And through his death, He shed his precious blood. That blood is called the redeeming blood. What kind of blood? And by grace, he sprinkled it, not just on the people of Israel, but the souls of all men. So that. Psalm 31, 19 says, how abundant are the good tidings, good new, good things, sorry, good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. Take refuge, take shelter, shelter in place, right? You, you, you know that saying, right? Shelter in place, not move, just stay in hiding. Take shelter, take protection in that place. What is, what is that about? It's for those who try to keep the law, to be justified keeping the law, but finding themselves to be failing every single day, falling short of it and saying, what a wretched man I am who will save me from this body of death. Help me. Only you can save me, Lord. Those who take shelter, those who take refuge in the Lord, the Lord of grace, he to them, he will show his grace. And he did so by shedding and sprinkling the redeeming blood of God so that whosoever believes and receives will be saved. Hallelujah. So he resurrected. And after some days, he was taken up to heaven before the witnesses of people and He sat down on the throne. And Hebrews 4.16 describes the throne as the throne of grace. What's it called? The throne of grace. Because Themis, grace. Yes? Why is it called the throne of grace? Because this is the Father's gift to the Son. Hebrews 1.2. He appointed him to be the heir of all things. God decided in eternity. Eternity. That's what's going to happen. And according to that schedule, God laid on all these events. We see it as a big chunk. The Old Testament. And then we know about the New Testament, the law of the era of the law, and then the era of grace coming after. All these scheduled, the time periods, God had already in mind, but he waited for the son to obey willingly and accomplishing the father's will. Then the son legitimately took the throne, and that is the greatest gift given to the son by the father. Hallelujah. But you know what? It's also the gift of Christ for those who believe him. Not his own throne, but there are thrones around his throne. Prepare for those who believe him and who follow him to the end. Are you excited about that? If the Holy Spirit is in you, you would be. Amen. How many of you received this redeeming blood of Yeshua? And therefore you have been cleansed of your sins. Amen. You have received the grace of God, the gift of God. The greatest gift, the gift of Christ. Amen? 
And the Holy Spirit comes and that is the beginning of the era of Holy Spirit or the era of grace. The era or the age, age of grace. And that is by spreading this gospel of grace. So believers are those who, who confess that Yeshua is the Christ, the son of the living God. Meaning that he is man who came as God. Even though he is man, he is God. He is the God who came as man. How many of you believe that? The Yeshua is God who came as man. Amen? And that's what we're celebrating today. The coming of Yeshua as man, though he is God, he came as man. That's why we are celebrating. That's why we are rejoicing. And the Holy Spirit comes to such believers and reveals to us the dispensation of the grace of God. Ephesians 3, 2, and another translation says the administration of the grace of God. So the way God will show his grace is by administering in these different time periods, according to these timetable, uh, this timetable. So that's called the dispensation, the schedule of the grace of God. Because God longs to be gracious to not just the people of Israel, a small people, a group of people for a thousand generations that is limited, that is physical. But all of that is now set aside to fully reveal his grace and give that grace to whosoever believes. So what does John 3.16 say? Do you even need to look at it? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So whosoever will not, but have, will not, but have, whosoever believes, that's right. The one and only son, the only begotten son, Jesus Christ, will not perish but have eternal life. Hallelujah. That is the greatest gift that God longed to give from the beginning. From the beginning. You know, like Pastor Ken was talking about Isaiah 64 over and over again, right? It's about like our father, our redeemer, from of old, from everlasting, is your name. That is his name. So there is our father is our redeemer and there's a name. What is the name? That name was with him in the beginning. And in that name, he, what he, or, the plan was already there. Like if you talk about like genetics, right? DNA it was in the DNA, the blueprint of the word. In the beginning is that name, Yeshua. In that name, he will do the work of redeeming and saving. And by doing so, shedding his precious blood, men have a chance to become children of God. Knowing the greatest gift, receiving the greatest gift of God. How is this possible? Those who are slaves to sin. Because without giving the son, the world will perish. Without giving his son to be killed, to lay down his life, all men will go to hell. That's why God decided. And according to his schedule, he waited and waited. Like a thousand, a day feeling like a thousand years. Waiting for thousands of years. Sending his son finally to be given away as gift. Gift means freely given. Not a price has been put on because it is so precious. Priceless does not mean worthless. But because it's so worthy and so precious, no one can pay that price. No one. Even if we were to extract all the diamonds and gold and silvers of the world, there is no way that we can match the grace of God. And that grace is given not to, not to all creatures like angels, 
but humans who are perfectly flawed in the weakness of the flesh, yet created in the image of God, made to function, to live with God, like God, forever. Amen. So for grace to be known as grace, God gave the law first. Only by law and men trying to keep the law in fear and trembling, they realize, oh my goodness, I'm running into this, uh, this commandment. I am tempted to break this commandment. And then what the, what the reaction is, like I try to do the good that I want to do, I can't do, and the evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing. That's the confession that uh, um, Paul writes in Romans 7, towards the end, 21 to 25, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin and work within me. So that is like being a sinner to sin, a slave to sin. A prisoner of the law of sin at work. And then finally, he says, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man I am. Wretch, trash, worthless, disgusting, detestable thing. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? This body of destruction. This body that is subject to death. That will be thrown into the raging fire. The fire of hell. And then the last statement is saying, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what do we say? Hallelujah. Thank you, Yeshua. Because the law was given first. Men can know his grace for grace. So grace for grace to be known as grace, for grace to be appreciated grace, he gave the law first. And oppressed men, the law, the men uh, under the in the law in the era of the law, found themselves be burdened and oppressed. That's why Yeshua said, "Come, you all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest." When he said that, he's not talking about people who are like carrying you know loads of stuff for work. That's not what he's saying, or that your life is so miserable for whatever. He's talking about the people who are weary and burdened because of the law that they try to keep. Because they're trying to fight against their sinful nature. They are so burdened and discouraged even. And it is impossible to keep. Because you try to keep all of them perfectly. When you fail one, you failed all. So the only thing that one can say is, I'm a wretch. I'm an undeserving sinner. And it is to such confessing sinner, grace came. The gospel came. The truth came. And the such sinner, such slave to sin, can finally be set free for the price of sin. The penalty of sin has been paid for by our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So the God of grace who longed to be gracious to all men, first by giving the law, and and under the law they had to do their deeds, obey, to be called righteous, but they fail. But this was for them to welcome the good news, welcome the good news of his grace, which is to say, by faith, we become justified. Hallelujah! And a step further, Romans 5, 8 says, we're justified by his blood. So by calling on his name and opening my heart and welcoming his blood, the redeeming blood of Yeshua Christ, that I am justified. Say amen if you have been justified by his blood. By faith, you have been justified. Amen? Not by deeds, but by faith. Amen. So that grace may be grace. 
comes by faith so that it may be by grace. That's why our faith is called faith of revelation, faith by grace. Faith, faith. So believer is somebody who has received the gift of Christ. So what about it? First, Christ himself gave his body, his life to us, to me. Isaiah 53, 5, the prophesied. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we're healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment they endured gave us peace. The stripes, the wound, the flogging brought us healing. First Peter 2, 2, 4 says, he bore our sins, he bore our pains, and we have been healed. So Christ himself gave his body as the last Adam. The body is last Adam, right? The spirit of last Adam, he laid down his life so that whosoever believes all men in the first Adam have been redeemed by his blood, now by receiving and welcoming one by one, every one of us coming to repentance and receiving, then we can receive his life. Hallelujah! Coming alive, the spirit that was once dead, but now alive because I have received the sprinkling of his redeeming blood. And the gift of Christ is also the fact that I have been chosen according, accordingly to be sprinkled, to receive that sprinkling with his blood. So 1 Peter 1, 2 says, we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So we've been chosen. So here again, like, ooh, does that mean like predestination theory, like where theology, where you know people are chosen to be saved? Yes and no. First of all, that chosen, that choosing is out of all the creatures, humanity, mankind was chosen, not angels. So when you read book of Hebrews, especially in the beginning, there's comparison being made humans, uh, angels and the son of God, but angels and humans who would in- inherit salvation. So although we are both creatures with persona, right? Intelligence, emotion, free will, they don't have the flesh. We have the flesh. What causes us to fall all the time and become weak and lazy, disobedient, rebellious, and then cold-hearted and jealous, envious, hating, all those evil things. The flesh. Certainly the person, yes, but the flesh. But because of the flesh, the weakness of the flesh, God decided to already, by becoming our father, to forgive us, to receive us, to wait for us, our father. So in the word father and our relationship with him as our father and we as his children, there is his infinite long suffering, infinite waiting, infinite forgiving, but not to the angels. Angels have the same persona as us and one time sin, therefore, because they have no flesh, one time sin, would lead that angel to hell. Who's that? Satan. How many times did he sin? To, to my knowledge, according to the Bible, only once. He said, I will be like. He didn't go and punch God. He didn't throw the house on fire. He just said, I will make myself like the most high. And that's it. That's it. No mercy at all. He's going to hell. He became the origin of sin, leading the whole world astray. But me, compared to him, how many times have I sinned? How many times have you sinned? Can you count with your 10 fingers? I need more fingers. 
So believer is someone understanding and knowing that if God had not sent Christ on this day, 2,000 years ago, I don't know what could have, would have become of me. I was sent all my life and then pay for my sin in hell forever. And I would deserve it because I am godless, worthless, hopeless, lawless, wretch. But because by his grace, he set the schedule, sending the law first, choosing the people of Israel first, and then letting them break and failing. And finally, grace upon grace has come. Grace in place of the grace that already given has come. And that is Yeshua. And through his death, that by receiving his blood, I would truly know the greatest gift of God, the gift of Christ. Hallelujah. And it is by grace he called me to hear this good news because somebody preached me. Somebody brought me to this place, to a place like this to hear the good news. Because faith comes from hearing. Without hearing the good news, I will not have the faith. And it is by faith so that it may be by grace. So without faith, I will not know grace. That is the power of faith. That is the blessing of being born in the time of faith, not in the time of the law. In the time of the law, it was by your deeds, but now it is by faith. So as someone who has already received all this and understanding that it is by the grace of God, I am who I am. The true Christian is someone who knows that he has now become a debtor to God's grace. A debtor. A debtor is somebody who owes money, right? Debt. Like the president was promising or, you know, to forgive everyone's debt, student loans and all this stuff, and all the mess and people getting confused and like all that. So debt, personal debt, corporate debt, debt. So you owe that person that amount of money, that organization, that, that bank, that nation, that debt. We can't even count how much and how many, but he canceled it all when he died on the cross. Canceled that. I mean, you, if you know what it's like to have debt in your credit card and all that, and then someone says, I paid it, I canceled it all. Would you not be amazed? Would you not be grateful? And how long do you think that gratefulness lasts? Depends. The more you're forgiven, the more grateful you remain. The longer grateful you remain. So someone who knows that, that they have been forgiven of all their sins that would lead them to hell, the raging fire of hell, and knowing that he has paid them all in my place instead of me by becoming a ransom, then we would confess like Paul writes, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. So that's another way of saying debt, right? Financial speaking term is like obligation means debt. So in other translations, the brethren, we are debtors. Say with me, I'm a debtor. And when we say debtor, it's like, I'm a debtor. You're not going to get the mic. Hi, everybody. I'm a debtor. Oh, man. Don't loan anybody. Let nobody loan money to that guy or hire that girl. They're debtor. Right? It's like not good if you have a lot of debt. But in this sense, this is the right place to be. That's exactly how you ought to be. To know ourselves as a debtor to the grace of God. And Proverbs 22, 7 says, the borrower is slave to the lender. So we become willingly a slave to the lender who showed his amazing favor to me.
So becoming willingly, willingly becoming an, a servant, a slave to Christ. That is somebody who knows that he cannot pay back what he owes, but because he laid down his life and, and he paid it all, paid all my debt, paid off all my penalty, that even though I am born with sinful nature, sinful genes, every part of my body, head to toe, deep inside, head and heart, everything. Everything that I think and breathe in and out is sinful. Therefore, it makes me the worst of sinners. Deserving nothing but the raging fire of hell. And then knowing that he paid it all for me. I can only willingly become his slave. A slave. A slave is someone who has no more free will. Belongs totally and completely to his master. The only thing I can do is bow down before my master, my savior, my Lord of grace. So such person, what does he do? First, he forgives, for he is forgiven much. He forgives his brothers. So in Matthew 18, Jesus gives this parable about an unmerciful servant. As you know very well, that story. Man who owed 10,000 talents. He's forgiven because he can't pay back. His master just decides, the king decides to forgive that debt. And a, ta- a talent at the time was worth about, tw- a, one talent is worth about 20 years of um, day labor's wage. It just sounds like an incredible amount of money, right? And then this man who is now free from his debt goes down the street and he meets another fellow, fellow servant. They're same level. And this fellow servant owes him 100 denarii. And denarii is like totally a different unit than talent. Denarii is a usual daily wage of a, a worker. So 20 years of a daily wage of a, one talent times 10,000. And then here's 100 times one, one day of wage. So we're a completely different like category here. So this man who owes so much more, was forgiven all, sees this man who owes a little bit. He beats him. Where's my money? I don't have money. He beats him and he throws him to prison. So when the king hears that, he punishes this unmerciful servant. And at the end of it, Yeshua said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. How many of you believe that your many, many sins have been forgiven? Do you believe that you're a sinner even? This is where we have problems. If you don't, have, you don't agree that you're a sinner, then we don't go anywhere. That's why you need to know the law. The law works as mirror to this day. I find myself in the mirror. Before you start finger pointing other people, I'm upset at you, I don't like you. How about you? Look at yourself. By the law, by the word. And then find yourself confessing what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of destruction. And then know and hearing this good news of grace. His grace. God's grace. That I have been forgiven of my many, 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 many debts. And I look to my brother. Who might have done wrong to me. Or said wrong to me. You know when you hear like when I'm hearing people. I'm talking to the council. And I go like what do they do again? What are you upset about? Oh because they said this and this and that. They, They do what? They said this and this and that. To your faith? No. It's just their face. Their, their face. Their face says something to you. So you don't want to come to church anymore. That's why. Okay. <laughs> um, let's go to Matthew 18. Yeah. 
No, not, not, not right. You're just looking at him like, that's what I was saying. Do you understand? Especially in the church life, because we're so intense, right? We're so frequently meeting. Every little thing is like, you got pet peeves. You, you know everything about everybody. So then, these petty things, we call it petty, because in light of what the Lord has done for us, it's so petty. So petty! Pouting, upsetting, you said this to me, you said this about my kids and my family, my husband, my wife, and... Oh my God. Have you been forgiven? Are you a sinner? If you have been forgiven many, you would have the power to forgive many, many, many times over and over again. As Peter said, should I forgive my brother seven times? And the Lord said, not seven, not only seven times, but seven times, 70. The same sin by the same brother. And yet, one brother says one little thing and you cannot forgive. And you say, I don't want to go to that group. I don't want to go to that church. The power of the Christian faith is the power to forgive. Amen? Let me have the infinite power to forgive, Lord. Amen? Secondly, because my many sins are forgiven, just like the sinful woman who came and broke her alabaster jar of perfume oil and with her tears and oil just continued to wash the feet of Yeshua with her hair, with her hands, with all her heart. And the Jewish leaders looking at you, if, if this man is really the Messiah, as it says he is, and man of God, he would know what kind of hands those are, like the, what kind of sinner she is. And he would not let her touch his body like that. Knowing all that they were thinking, Yeshua said in Luke 7, 47, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord more than anyone else? Amen. So who can say I love the Lord the most? The proud, the accomplished, the goody-goody two-shoes. I'm here all the time. I've been serving for 10, 20 years and I'm a good girl, good boy. I got a lot of fruit. These people? Could be. But where it starts is where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Where grace increases all the more, love increases all the more. The more sins that you have committed, and even if you may not if you no longer be doing the same thing anymore, but knowing yourself more and more. So again, being a Christian and growing doesn't mean that you continue to commit sin. No way. Your life has to be sanctified. But in knowing who Yeshua is, knowing his grace, it becomes deeper, deeper, and wider, and higher, and greater, and greater. And even the like, smallest thing in, like, passing him through my head, like my smallest emotion like, comes up, like petty thing, right? I get upset. Like it bothers me. Ooh. The next morning I'm still thinking about it. Why? Because like, I'm judgy right now. Like, I'm, it's not science sitting with me. I'm just upset about so-and-so in the situation. So I didn't do anything. I didn't curse. I didn't punch. I didn't do anything. I didn't get drunk. I didn't smoke. Nothing. I, outwardly things, nothing. But inside there's all these things that are sinful still in the eyes of God. And I say, how many years has it been? And I'm still not changing. My character is not changing to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't have them. So seeing how lacking, how limited I am, 
The only thing I can say is, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. As I was praying and I was thinking about this sermon, I I was praying, I thought about the scene in the dedication play years ago with MJ and Chung Kyung doing the, the boat scene. Do you remember that one? Where the main character is basically a prostitute. You know, she sad life. And then she gets tricked into going to this, she's abandoned by, you know, these like mobs to go to some desert island where there's just basically unwanted people live, like lepers and the poor and convicts, whatever. So she's going there, but this sort of pure man who's Christian and about to go as a missionary to this island, going headed to the same place but different reason. And he dies for her to protect her because, you know, this bad guy gets in the way. And then she just holds shock, like this stranger dies for her. And then later she reads the Bible and miracle takes place. She confesses her sin. And she realized this stranger who laid down his life for her, understanding now the, the grace of God. And what remains with me, like there's many things. It was very well done. But um, she meets his mother who's like, you know, grieving her son. But she was proud of her son because she's also a woman of faith. And the main character kept saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It just stays with me, like that expression of, I'm sorry. In that, she's saying, I owe you my life. I owe your son my life. Because in the end of the story, she actually goes to the island to become a missionary. It's sort of similar to Paul's story this year in EM dedication, right? So going to carry on the mission of the one who laid down. But I just think of like that her saying like, I think in Korean she said, Chesuamni, that was just sorry. But it's more than just saying, sorry, I stepped on you. I'm sorry, I, I took something from you. I did wrong. But it's more like, I'm not worthy, sorry. Like, I'm so grateful, sorry. Like, I should do more, sorry. Like, I owe my life, sorry. And that's like my heart. I'm sorry, Lord. I love you so much and I'm so sorry that this is all I am. Like I want to bear fruit and at the end of the year 2023, I feel like it should have been better and more, grow more myself and the ministry, but I'm sorry. But I love him all the more because of that. And therefore I can only boast him, my Lord, through my weakness and my fault and my powerless, by sharing my brokenness and my shame and my inabilities and my incompetence, I am boasting the Lord and lastly becoming a debtor to the gospel of grace. As Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task, the Lord, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And he also said, I am obligated to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. A servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace is what I have now become. I cannot not speak of his grace. I cannot devote my life in spreading this grace because now I owe him my life. I owe him my life because he laid down his life for me. As a debtor to Christ, a debtor to the gospel, I now testify the gospel of his grace. That is my devotion, my commitment every single day. Amen. That's what ought to be for every one of us. 
Not focusing on the challenge, not focusing on the petty things and all the things that people trouble you and upset you, but focusing on the one who laid down my life for him, for me and for him. I lay down my life now by living for him. Amen. So there is no to what he commands. There is only yes to what he commands. This is the season of him coming in the flesh. You have to ask yourself now. Do I know the grace of God? And if you say yes. Yes I received the grace of God six months ago. Or six years ago. Or 16 years ago. The question is then. Is it still moving in you? Are you still overflowing with the grace of God? That means are you being changed daily? Transformed daily by his grace? That's the question. Before we say Merry Christmas and give and receive gifts, think about the greatest giver. That is our God, the God of grace, through Christ Yeshua, who laid on his precious life. And if I have received that greatest gift, I ought to be amazed, still amazed. Amazed then and amazed today. And I will forever be amazed, even in his presence, when that grace that is coming in the future i will finally be brought before his presence to say i am still amazed amazed that you came and laid down your life i owe you my life i give you thanks i boast you i praise you hallelujah let's pray have you received the gift have you been so moved that you have become a slave to your lender and that you did so willingly A slave to the lender, a debtor to the gospel, does not complain, does not resent. There is no finger pointing. There is no complaining. The only thing I can say is, I love you. I am sorry. And I love you. I owe you my life. I was amazed then. And I'm still amazed right now. Let my life continue to be transformed. Let me live each and every day to pay back for what you have done for me. Yeshua! Yeshua!